How can we escape? That's the question of Lord's Day 5. You turn in the back of your hymnals, the Heidelberg Catechism, to Lord's Day 5, question and answers 12, 13, 14, and 15. probably in the area of 878 or 9. Lord's Day 5, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. Here's the question, how then can we escape? How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of his justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? One who is a true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God one who is both man and God. Now let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah 59, and we'll read verses 1 through 17. Isaiah 59. Page 735. Page 735, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. That's cobra's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil. They're swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know and there's no justice in their paths. They've made their roads crooked and no one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, 
Justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice has turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking." And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This is God's word. Brothers and sisters, may he bless us by it and strengthen our faith in him, the only Savior. Beloved congregation in Jesus Christ, after talking about the reality of sin, how we're God-haters and man-haters, people-haters, sin's origin, it comes from ourselves. We can't put the blame anywhere else. Sin's depth, our depravity is total. We can't do anything that's good in the sight of God. No, not one, says the Bible. Sin's punishment, eternal punishment of body and soul is the only just punishment for sinning against the eternal God. After all that, the catechism asks just the right question. How then can we escape And that's a question that's asked like from a 36-foot hole without a ladder. And you're in the bottom. There's no food there. There's no drink. You're stuck. How can we escape? It's just the right question. And it's often found in the Bible. Remember what the crowds asked on the day of Pentecost when they saw their terrible sin of crucifying the Messiah How they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles. Brothers, what shall we do? How shall we escape? And that's what Saul answered. When Jesus struck him down on the way to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul answers, what shall I do, Lord? And that's what the Philippian jailer said when he encountered God's wrath and judgment in the earthquake at the jail. And he fell down and he said to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's the right question. How then can we escape? How can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? It means we're recognizing here we're in real deep trouble with God because of our sin. We're out of fellowship with him. And we need to be made right with God again. 
And I wonder if you've ever asked this question about yourself. It's the right question. And we should keep asking it about ourselves. How then can I escape? What must I do to be saved? And let's not just think of this as a question for others to ask, like the Philippian jailer. It's the question of faith. It's for me to ask. It's for you to ask. It's our question. But we must also come up with the right answer. We need the law of God to bring us to this question. To show us that we're stuck. And there's no way out for ourselves. But we also need the gospel to come up with the right answer. So we don't try to take false ways of escape that can't work. How then can we escape? We want to see two things. No one here can help us. Secondly, only heaven can help us. No one here can help us. There's no help from below. The problem is here, not the solution. No one here can help us. If there's going to be a solution, it's got to come from God. It's got to come from heaven. Only heaven can help us. No one here can help us. And if there's anything to be gleaned from Isaiah 59, it's this. We are so stuck in our sin as the people of God. We're not even talking about the heathen here. But as the people of God, we're so stuck in our sin. We moan like doves. We growl like bears. But there's no way out. We look around and there's no way of salvation for us here. It's a terrible scene here in Isaiah 59. It's a disaster zone in Israel. There's no justice, notice. There's no righteousness. There's no honesty. There's no peace. There's no truth. There's nothing good. There are only lies and violence and oppression and stealing and cheating and murder and hypocrisy and misery. That's all there is. Verse 12, our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us for our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. And then verse 15, the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. How could they escape their sin and God's punishment? How could we escape? What's the way out of this mess? How can we get back into a right relationship with God? How can we pay the debt that we owe God for all that we've done against him? And Isaiah says that God looked and he saw that there was no one to help. It's like he looked high and he looked low across the globe. He looked into the past. He looked into the present. He looked into the future. Is there any hero? Is there anybody who can stand in the gap, who can pay the price? For the wages of sin is death, eternal death. Can anybody pay that for sinners? Pay that price to God and set us free from the price we owe. Is there anybody? 
Lord looked high and he looked low and he looked all over to see if there's anybody, but he saw that there was no one who could help. And then we read there, and he wondered that there was no one to intercede. That word wondered means he was astonished. He was appalled. He was amazed. What? Nobody? Nobody in the whole human race is good enough? Nobody in the whole human race is strong enough to fix the problem, to take care of the problem of sin and judgment? And to bring us back to God? No. In all the earth, there was no justice, there was no righteousness, there was no salvation, there was no hope. And brothers and sisters, looking for an escape hatch here on earth is a dead end road. It leads nowhere. But that's man's first, kind, first inclination. We're in a 36-foot hole with no ladder. How can we escape And before mankind cries out to the Lord to send escape, because of his pride, he first looks for his own ways out. That's mankind's first inclination to look to mankind, to look on the earth for a wake. Is there a hero anywhere? Is there a solution anywhere here on earth? Is there somebody who can pay the wages of sin for me? Who can pay to God the debt of eternal punishment of body and soul for every single sinner? To set me free from that debt and make me right with God? Is there anybody who can do that? To give sin its full due? Because that's what God's justice requires. His justice requires that in order to escape... Every single sin and sinner must be paid for in full. And paid for means with eternal punishment of body and soul. Every single one. If that doesn't get paid, God's justice is not answered. There's a hole in his holiness. Then he's not holy. Then he's not God. And the world will collapse. It will literally fall apart if God is not God. Every sin must be paid in full. That's what it takes. That's what escape requires. But who can do that? And too often the Israelites would look inward and would look outward, but not look upward. Because you know only God can do that. They would look inward. Maybe if I just do a whole bunch of good, offer a whole bunch of sacrifices. If I just stand in the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, Jeremiah 7, they they thought that was sort of sacred ground. If they went there, their sins would sort of get washed away just by standing on that sacred ground. It's superstitious. If we just keep the laws, if we just pay our tithe, Then we'll be good with God. We'll be right with God again. If we just straighten out our lives and smarten up, God will show us favor. Can we pay this debt ourselves? No. Actually, we increase our debt every day. But that's a very common scheme in religious circles. If I just 
smarten up and follow the Christian customs, then all will be well. And you find that often in the church, right? People that are middle-aged, older. They really lived godless lives when they were younger, and then all of a sudden they, they just straightened up. They smartened up. They straightened out and started living a decent, clean, moral life, going to church and doing what's right, following the customs and the traditions, but never repented. Never repented. We're never undone before God. Never said, I deserve wickedness. Lord, save me from myself. And using your own deeds to try to clean out your bad deeds is like using a dirty cloth to wipe out a spot. Because the the deeds you do are dirty themselves because everything that comes out of you is poisoned by sin, right? So, Using your own good deeds as a way of escape is like using a dirty cloth to try to clean out a dirty spot. Have you ever tried that? And and how has that worked besides increase the smudge? It can't work. Well, some will then look to outside of themselves to another human being to save us from God's wrath. And and so the, the Israelites would sometimes pin their their hopes on prophets, priests, and kings. But they were all fallen. They couldn't pay for their own sins, let let alone the sins of others. They needed a Messiah. They needed a way of escape. Some actually trusted in animals. They thought if we bring an animal sacrifice, God will save us. Well, that was just a picture of Jesus. The animal couldn't do anything for them. Some trust in the Virgin Mary. Maybe she has enough extra good in here. Some trust in one of the saints. If we pray to them, then they will donate some of their extra good works to my account and make me right with God and take care of my sin and judgment. Put me in a better spot with God. How useless. Mary was a sinner. She couldn't save herself, let alone you or me. The saints are all sinners who couldn't save themselves, let alone you or me. They all needed Jesus. And Mary would roll over in her grave if she knew that people were counting on her good works to give them good credit with God. Well, some trust in angels. I saw an angel. There's a lot of angel spirituality today, right? Make pictures or images of angels and hang them on your house and put them over your church. And and, and if you've got an angel in the area, God will protect you. Angels are mere creatures. They can't bear the weight of God's eternal wrath. Plus, they can't take your place because they're angels. They're not people. Man's sin. Man's the one that's got to pay for it. Or take a guy like me who trusted in his parents to save him. I have a good dad, busy in the church. I have a good mom. She's devout. Certainly, that's got to rub off on me, and I got to be good with God. Did I say that? Never. Did I feel it? 
Yes. How often don't you meet somebody to say, are you a Christian? Well, my mom prays. My mom goes to church. Your mom isn't savior material. She needs saving herself. How then can we escape? Is there anybody here who can do the job? Anyone on earth in the past, in the present, or in the future? Is there any hero that can stand in the gap? Is there anyone that can intercede? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. The Lord looked. He looked. And he looked. And he looked. Now, it's not like he didn't know. He had this all planned out from all eternity and prepared how he would save us, but he's giving us the picture of how vain it is to trust in anything or anybody here in this world. It's amazing how we trust in human power, human movements, to save the world. I think of Marxism. A hundred years ago or a little bit more, people had such high hopes that Marxist communism would bring about utopia, a fair and equal world what everybody would love and share and, and there would be no sin and no problems. And Christians jumped on this bandwagon as well. And all it was was a new creative form of doing corruption and enslaving people and tyrannizing them. That's all we can come up with here on the earth. People hope that climate action will bring about a utopia. It's just going to become a new form of tyranny. Taxing and controlling people while the elites live high off the hog. You know it. I know it. The solution can't be found here. Because the problem is here. The problem is here. No. No one here can help us. But God sees our situation perfectly. Only heaven can help us. Look at verse 16. He saw that there was no man. And he wondered that there was no one to intercede then. You got to look at that then. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. It shows the heart of God. This is amazing love. God sees mankind so lost, so wicked, so rebellious, so hopeless, so helpless, and so done. Done. And he's appalled that he can't stand the thought of it. I can't let it end this way. I can't let this happen. I can't let the whole human race go to eternal punishment. I got to do something about this if nobody here on earth can do anything about it. It's amazing love. If no one on earth 
can remove the sin and misery that's destroying the world, God says, then I will do something about it. I will come down myself and save the world. You see, then his own arm brought in salvation. Now, that's a bit of a funny picture. Did you see one day a big arm, divine arm, reaching down out of heaven to earth and picking people up out of that 36-foot hole and giving them escape? Sort of. Sort of, but when you look at Isaiah 52 and 53, the song of of the suffering servant, when God's going to send his son to be the Messiah and lay on him the iniquity of us all, that passage about Jesus starts this way in Isaiah 52. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. That arm is Jesus Christ. The arm of God is Jesus Christ. It stands for the power of God coming down to earth to scoop us up and give us escape. That arm is Jesus Christ who he's going to send into the world as the solution to the sin problem and the only solution there is. And in fact, if you look at the next verse, verse 17, the arm of God becomes a person. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. He's a soldier coming to do, take vengeance on sin and he's gonna do it by dying on the cross. The eternal son of God becoming a true human being carrying all the sin of all God's people and all God's wrath and all God's condemnation toward us and all God's punishment and going to the cross with it and our damnation and hell being nailed to the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross to get rid of it for us and rising on the third day as the conqueror as the successful one, the true hero this world needs. There's the answer. We need an answer that's out of this world, and God is the one who's out of this world who sends the answer. He comes with his arm, with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's really what we need. The the catechism summarizes it. Well, what sort of hero do we need? Well... Answer 15, he's got to be true and righteous man. He, he's got to be able to represent us, stand in our place, carry our sin, be condemned in, in our spot and, and punished for it. He's got to be one of us. Yet he's got to be sinless, otherwise if there's sin on him, he can't bear our, our sins. The sacrifice will be no good. He's got to be, he's got to be true man, and he's got to be a sinless one. On the other hand, if you're going to carry the infinite weight of God's wrath and come out on the other side, you've got to be divine. You've got to be God. You've got to be eternal. You've got to be infinite. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal God, the eternal Son of God, comes down. And becomes a human being by the miracle of the Holy Spirit 
through the womb of the Virgin Mary, sinless, to stand in our place. How can we escape Jesus? God comes down himself, the second person of the Trinity, as a soldier cloaked with vengeance against our sin by taking it to the cross. And that's the only way of escape. There is no other. What a miracle. What amazing love when we were lost and could not escape. You know, God could have left us in that hole without a way out. We deserved it. How we spit on him, how we hated him, how we turned our back on him, how we said we want to go on our own way and that's where we ended up. Well, you can stay there. And it would have been perfectly just for him to do that. Perfectly just. No fault with God. But what mercy, what love, that he says, you can't come up with a way of escape. I will provide a way of escape for you. I will send someone to carry your sin and judgment and hell. So I can have you back. What man could not do, God did. And that's the good news for sinners. For God so loved the world. How could you? Think of how the world hates you, God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he comes into the world conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and the angel comes to visit Joseph and Mary. You shall give him the name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Indeed. When we were lost and could not escape and there was no way out of sin and judgment for us, God himself provided a way for us. So we go back to the original question, how then can we escape? What must I do to be saved? Believe in yourself more? Work harder, smarten up, straighten out your life a bit, look better in front of others, believe that you can pull through, believe that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. No. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your family. In other words, Give up on yourself. See that all there is in you is the problem. And rush to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God's solution for you. That's God's way of escape. And here's the offense of the cross. This is what people hate. 
There is no other way to God. There is no other way out of sin and judgment. There's no other way out of hell for all the people of the world, for all cultures, all colors, all languages, all nations, all ages. There's only one way. The Bible's got it. God gave him. His name is Jesus Christ. It happened at the cross. And that's where we got to go. And that's the news that's got to go out because that's the only place. Put your life there. Put your sin there. Put your needs there. Give yourself to him. Surrender to him. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, God our Savior desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God. And there's only one mediator between God and man, the man man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And then Acts 4, Jesus is the cornerstone of salvation and there's salvation in no one else, no one else, no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name under all heaven and all the earth than this one name, Jesus Christ. But the beautiful thing is that name works. That name works. Trust in him you will surely escape. You can't climb out. But God climbed down to lift you out. And there is no other God who has done that. He did the work for you because we could not do the work ourselves. It's by grace you've been saved through faith And this is not from yourselves so that no one can boast. It's the gift of God. There's the place for all my guilt and all my condemnation and all God's anger toward me and all my wrong and all my hell. Jesus, put it there. Put it there. And you will escape God's punishment and you will return to God's favor. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this question. How then can we escape God's punishment? What must I do to be saved? Put that question in our hearts and lives, but also, Lord, show us the only true answer. Show that to our minds and hearts so that we might flee to Jesus Christ for salvation. Lord, the world needs to know this good news, this only way out, only way of escape. Help us then not only to take hold of this in our own hearts and lives, but to share this For we live in a world that's perishing, that's so far from God, that's looking for the way out here where it can't be found. And people are running down dead-end roads that will end in hell if they don't get off them. Lord, use us. And then through us, reach into their lives and families and bring them to look to the Lord. Bring them to yourself. Father, your good news is amazing. You are amazing. 
your amazing love. Amen.